Comfort Monk Podcast. This week we've got uh, two guests on the show. We've got our friend uh, Tyler Gordon of the band uh, Barnwell and Hillmouse talking to uh, legendary skater Tommy Guerrero. What's up, Tyler? Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate you jumping in and chatting with Tommy for us. Yeah, no, I was very glad to do it. It's really pretty cool thing to be able to get to talk to Tommy. He's, uh, you know, that guy's done everything. He was he was big time idol of a bunch of different things that I'm super into. So it was a pretty big treat to get to talk to him for a while. Well, how'd the conversation go, man? Really good. Really good. Um, we talked probably about an hour, I think. Um, just mostly about music and skating and, and uh, a little bit of the standard 2020, what's COVID like for you? Nonsense. Right. Got that out, out of the way up top and then everything. It was good. It was really, really good. Really easy to talk to. Very nice guys. More than willing to just talk for a while. I had to cut it off because I was I didn't have anything else. Like he was just ready to go for as long as we wanted. Hell yeah, yeah. He seems like the kind of guy who uh, just could riff for hours because he's got so much under his belt and he stays yeah. kind of inspired and creative. So I mean, I, his music is incredible. Like if he if he didn't if he wasn't a pro skater, we. I'd want him on a guest just for his music. So, you know, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so Tyler, you, you just put out an album, uh, two days ago, right? Yeah, I did. I did. It wasn't supposed to come out, but it's, um, the Hillmouth album is just like a new thing that I did. Um, basically the Barnwell record got put on hold because of all the quarantine stuff earlier this year and we couldn't get around to it. And so in the meantime, I just started, Decided to just record a bunch of songs that I had that didn't fit with Barnwell. Um, and it turned into a whole thing. And it was supposed to come out next month. But it's just me making the decision. Because it's not, it's just, I did it on my own. So I got bored and was and just put it out. Said, <laughs> screw it, record release days today. Happy day to me. And now it's on Bandcamp. And I think it'll be on Spotify at the beginning of December and all that stuff. Nice. Um, yeah. I'm excited for you, man, and the songs all sound great. I'm pretty excited that we got to put one of them on the compilation too, man. Um, yeah, that was really cool. That was really cool. I'm glad I glad we got to do that. That was uh, due in large part to to Kenny at Archer Avenue, who oh, um, yeah. squeezed me in to help me get that mixed and and finished in time. Yep, gotta love Kenny. He's helped out mm-hmm. with many projects over the years for people on him. Like the CNSC samplers, he's always coming through in the pinch to sort of save the day on those two. Oh yeah, um, and then we did the we did the Hillmouse record in like a day and a half, I think, as far as mixing and mastering goes. So it nice, was, uh, pretty pretty clutch, pretty clutch from him. Well, to anybody out there listening to this, make sure to check out both of Tyler's records he put out this year. Barnwell and Hillmouse both have new records out. Both great and worth spending some time with and uh thanks again for coming on the show man and here's tyler's chat with tommy guerrero enjoy i am
cool, cool. Um, yeah, so we just figured uh, we're super happy to have you on. Um, it's it's awesome to get to talk to you. Uh, so we just figured we'd kind of talk a little bit about pretty much everything, man, skating and music and, and everything in between, uh, whatever may come up. Cool. How's, uh, I guess we'll get the the normal 2020 chit chat out of the way. How's how's COVID world treating y'all out in California? Um, you know, for me, I'm pretty fortunate. I get to still continue to do what I do in the sense that, you know, I'm always recording alone. So, you know, I'm a solo artist. So for me, it's not that big of a deal as far as, you know, recording music and so forth. Um, you know, but I, had some tour planned uh, in Japan and I had a tour planned in Europe, um, obviously all canceled. And I had a stand of shows here in the States and so everything being canceled, you know, and, and that's just, it's, it's a bummer, but I, I can't imagine what other people are really going through. I'm fortunate. I still have a job, uh, you know, um, I still have a roof over my head. So, you know, I, I truly can't complain. Sure, man. Yeah. Uh, when you're, you said you're recording alone, you're doing, I know you're a solo artist, but you're doing all the instrumentation for all your stuff. Yeah. I've always done that. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. It's all, it's always been just me except for, you know, when you see guests highlighted, like, uh, Chuck Treese has played on several, several yeah. records of mine. And so has Matt Rodriguez played some percussion. Um, but for the most part, you know, 75 to 95% of the, the music created is me. Gotcha. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess I'll back up real quick just for anybody listening. I mean, we'll have like an intro for everything um, before all of this, but just to back up real quick for everybody listening, Tommy Guerrero is uh, one of the pioneers of of skateboarding as we know it, and also an incredible musician. Um, Just so when I start talking about skating and music, if anybody skips the intro, they're not like, oh, what's going on? Um, But yeah, so I mean, I, I came across like, I mean, I've known about your skating career for forever. I've been, you know, skating since I was a kid, but, uh, musically I can't, I didn't come across your stuff until, um, I saw you'd done something not that long ago with the Matson too, um, who mm-hmm. we kind of were introduced a lot of us here in Columbia, South Carolina to through, uh, Chaz from Toro et moi, cause they did an album together right. a while back. Um, and then I, you know, obviously dove into all of your, um, discography and you went, I mean, skating and music has always gone hand in hand. So it's never like a, like a shock to find out that somebody who's been a pro skater is, is also a musician, but you went like, you'll go back with it, man. Like discography wise. I mean, I was looking at the years today. The furthest one I could find back was 97. Was that your first like proper release? The loose grooves and bastard blues. Yeah, it was my first album. Um, but I've had some stuff come out on 12 inches. Um, on a label called New Breed in '95, my solo stuff. But if you if you go farther back, you know me and my brother grew up in, in San Francisco playing punk music, and we have uh, recordings on a few compilations. It, name of the band was Free Beer, and uh, <laughs> we're on we're on a handful of compilations, and that's back in '80. We started in around 1980, and we ended in '84. Nice. So, yeah, if you, if you really go back, I mean, um. I've been doing it for almost as long as I've been skating. Maybe just a few years shy of, of skating. So Okay, so skating came um, first? Yeah. Yeah, skating came first, and then just a few years later, 
uh, music kind of started happening when we had uh, discovered punk. And we gotcha. just, me and my brother, you know, he's a, he's a musician too. So we just started playing music. It goes back to the lineage in my family. My grandfather was a jazz guitarist. My grandmother was a vocalist of his band. My, my father and his three brothers were all musicians growing up in San Francisco. Um, but we didn't know any of this till much later in life because we didn't grow up with that side of the family. Oh, really? So it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely genetics at play for me and my brother. Um, cause we both gravitated towards music, um, you know, as, as basically just as much as skating. That's so interesting, man. I, I love finding out that people have like family lineages with music. Cause I have a musician and skater and I, it's, it, it's pretty much just me and my brother a little bit, uh, music wise. So it's always interesting to me when people have like the whole family lineage to it. Um, you said your brother is a jazz guitarist. Did I hear that right? Did I? No, no. My, Somebody's my a jazz guitarist. Grandfather's jazz. jazz. Gotcha. Yeah my, yeah. my brother, um, is more of a rock and roll guitarist and he's cool. been, he rips, he's like a ripping guitar player. Um, but our styles are different because he's more rock and roll. But right now he does. I put a record out on my little label of uh, his his stuff um, a few years back, and it's there are similarities. He does a lot of surf meets like meets kind of rock and roll yeah. meets sort of uh, like Spanish influence stuff. So it's 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 pretty cool. Very cool. Yeah. So I I mean I yeah. guess I would. I mean I don't I don't. I hate, as a musician yourself, I'm sure, like, you know, putting the genre label on whatever is an annoying thing to do. But, uh, I mean, you're definitely trafficking in the jazz world. I don't want to differentiate between different styles that I'd get incorrect. But um, was that all? I know you started in punk. When did you sort of make that shift towards a more kind of jazz-influenced style? Uh-huh. Around ni- around ninety one ninety, I started making beats on an old sampler that I had. Um, well, it nice. wasn't old then; it was an Emac, an old outboard sequencer. And so I was I was sampling myself and sampling other uh, tidbits of instruments. Um, and when you're digging, you know, for 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 material, um, you come across so much music. And that's really how I kind of really got into jazz, but also from hip hop, from, you know, bands like Tribe Called Quest, from sampling hip hop stuff. And you start digging and you're looking for those records. Um, And, you know, um, it turns out you're like, oh, wow, I love this stuff. You know, I just, uh, I gravitated towards it in a heavy way. Um, And especially, you know, like certain guitar players, like Grant Green was one of uh, of the guitarists who I just really admired. And of course, I go way back with Santana, like his early stuff. You know, um, I'm a huge fan of his, um, from, you know, from his early stuff, of course, but Frank Green and, um, you know, now so much more of like, um, Gabor Jabo is, is one of my favorite guitar players and a lot of influence in there. And, uh, and then a lot of Ethiopian jazz, you know, like Malachua Stotki, Coltrane, you know, I'm influenced by all that stuff, but none of my stuff is, I don't call it jazz. It's tends to be kind of all over the map and influenced sure. by so many, so many different types of music. Right. And it's sort of just, I just channel it and it's just kind of, you know, funneled, funneled into, into my world. And then I just uh, do my thing. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what to call my music other than, you know, instrumental <laughs> music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it definitely comes out. Like you definitely hear all that different, like a whole bunch of different range of, of influence in there. That's why I was hesitant to even like, throw the J word out, you know, but they, um, but, uh, yeah. So as far as 
your whole process with, with making music these days goes, are you DIYing it from a house? Are you have a studio rented out that you're, you know, you have a whole setup in there? Like, yeah, what's your... I'm doing it from home right now. I have a studio in San Francisco, um, but I haven't, I haven't been using this whole time. Um, we sh- I share a space with a, with a couple people, but I have my own separate two space, a live room and a control room. Awesome. So I've recorded a couple of albums, my last album and the album prior to that. But I've been doing it all from home, which is fine because I have a little home set up. And, you know, to be honest, all the all the magic really happens, like, post-recording in, in, the, in, in the studio when we're mixing with my buddy oh, Monty. Yeah. He's mixed most of my albums, and we do a lot of fun stuff, and he's really knowledgeable and um, super easy to work with. And so, we, you know... That that's where I think it's like polishing a turd. I know I know the, <laughs> that feeling all too well. They, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I mean, I've found personally for me, I've I tell people like, I mean, it's you can definitely track DIY um, if you want, but the mixing is a it's a lot harder uh, without the the knowledge of an actual like audio engineer and then the equipment at least to a certain Completely. extent. Um, but then, of course, there's the whole there's the whole like you know, you're tracking DIY, but you've also been doing it for a lot of years, so it's not it's a little bit of yeah. a there's a big difference there. But you uh, are you a big uh, gearhead about it with your when you're recording stuff? Are you trying out all kinds of different things? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm really not. I'm I'm about capturing the music, but I do have you know I have a a few um, choice items which you sure. know. Like, um, like you, you know, Universal Audio Apollo Quad I was using, mm-hmm. and then also have the Step 710, which is a, a four-channel mic pre with compression on it, and um, you know, a couple of distressors, and uh, UA610 dual mic pre. So I definitely have some good, you know, rack gear going into the digital realm. Sure. And then a lot of what I do, though, I use a lot of pedals, and I just I record direct with the tone that I want. Nice. And in in and then when we're mixing, we'll just enhance things. But I'm, I need to be pulled into the music. I need to hear the music the way it's going to be to some degree to pull me in. Um, so I really want the tones to be there, at least the, the the raw aspect of the tones, you know, recorded. Sure. So when you say you're going direct, are you going like no, not micing an amp, just going straight from the pedals and in, into the DI, uh, the interface DI? Or yeah, right. Yeah, lately I have been. That's that's exactly what I've been doing. Just awesome. going direct. And um, but recently I got a, um, the Strymon Iridium, which is a little uh, kind gotcha. of amp modeler box, which is which is great. It's super simple. Has like the luxury verb kind of tone, which I've I've been using. You know, Fender stuff for quite a while. Absolutely. Um, you know, my last couple of records were done in the studio, and I used amps and everything. But you know, you would never tell the you could never tell the difference once it's mixed and what what we're doing. It's like you would sure. never know it was direct. You know. Oh sure, and it sounds great yeah. and it's easy. So I'm I'm totally cool with it. I'm not a super um, audiophile type. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I I love you know any kind of pedal that does anything. I was there was a uh, a interview recently with Jason Isbell where he was talking about gear and guitars and he was and stuff like that. And he was like, if the knobs work, it's a good piece of gear. Like it's just you can do something with it. And I was like, yeah, that's that tracks about right. I get. I will admit, I get a little like. I know no one can hear the difference with like amp modelers and amps. 
Um, but I will be the guy that's like, oh, I want to play an amp. Like, I'll, I'll get snobby about it a little bit. But, <laughs> but I also am fully conscious that, like, no one's hearing it, including me. No one's hearing the difference. <laughs> but, yeah, but and, you know. and, that's, and that's fine, though. Everybody, everybody has their approach. My, oh, for sure. My approach comes out in it comes out of necessity to be creative and that's how it's always been, you know, 100%. and I just use what I have and, and the skills that I have. So I, I'm not, I'm not too concerned because I, I know so many artists who are amazing, you know, guitar players and musicians who never do anything because they're thwarted by the idea that they need a perfect environment to record. Right. And I'm just like, I mean, you're never going to do anything, you know, and it's yeah, unfortunate. No. It's like it's kind of like when you meet those uh, those like bands you play a show with a band or something, and you know they need to know the exact BPM of the song so they can program it into their delay computer, and they've got to have the in-ear monitors oh, yeah. all set up just right. And you're like, well, I mean, you don't. I don't want to knock it. I've I've played with all that kind of stuff too, but it's it's kind of like I mean, if you can't get by with a floor monitor, you can barely hear, or you know, tracking guitar at your house with couch cushions as an ISO booth, like. <laughs> I don't know, man. At a certain point, it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, it's like skating. Like you don't start with, or at least I didn't start with like the cream of the cream best deck setup ever. I had you know, you you, you learn in the garage and you take it. And once you get good stuff, it it's a, a bit of a different process. But I will be, I'll get, a, I'll probably get a little bit of flack if I don't ask you about um, your gear a little bit more from all of our gear nerds out there. Are you, uh, have you heard, oh, sure. have you worked with any, uh, Caroline guitar company stuff? No, I haven't. Gotcha. I had to ask just cause they're out of, they're based out of our hometown and they've, they've kind of taken oh, cool. off with, uh, but it, what brought it into my head really was when you talk about using your stuff to be creative, cause they don't put, um, labels on the knobs on their pedals. It's just pictures. So, you can't look at it and be like, like you get an overdrive pedal from them. You can't set it to where you normally would set an overdrive because you have no idea what the knobs do. So you kind of have to mess with different <laughs> sounds a little bit, which is super fun. But um, yeah, if you, I guess we'll hit this one thing and then that, that'll be the last like gear thing. And I want to ask you some skating stuff, but uh, to, like today you go home, somebody's there and for some reason they're in charge of your entire life and they say you can only keep one of your guitars. Which one is it? Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> I grew up as a bass. I grew up as a bass player. Oh, so, even better. Um, yeah, and you know, guitar just happened out of necessity. When I was recording these tunes, I needed a, kind of a voice. I'm not a vocalist, so I needed a voice, which the guitar happened to be. And oh, so that's okay. that's how it all. That's how all the stuff started. I'm like, oh well, I'll just sort of, you know, play these, play some melodies that I hear in my head that might sure. be a vocal line or a trumpet line. So, so I grew up playing bass mainly, and you know, especially in the punk bands and all that. So I have my bass from the 1980s, and there's a photo of me. It's a Rickenbacker 4001, like a 70s. Wow. So I, I still have that bass, and that's, that's the one that I would probably, you know, out of all of them, I would just keep because, it, you know, it's you know part of my history and, sure. and, and the memories and so forth. Um, that's the Desert Island Et cetera. Yeah, I mean, you know, but... As far as the guitar goes, you know, I have, I've sold a bunch, but I've, because I had too many, you know? Yeah. And the only guitar, you know, that I, that I probably have, I have an ES347, um, mm. like a 79 that I've had for a while. Right. And that would be the guitar because, you know, I mean, it, it just accrues value over time. Sure. 
other other than that, you know, I have a 63 jazz bass that I've had for a long time that's beat up, but it fucking sounds amazing and plays great. Oh, yeah. No, that's the best. I don't, you, you don't want a super clean guitar. It makes me feel nervous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brand new guitars, man. Uh, I have a hard time with them, especially just the feel of them. It's like, uh, I don't, I'd rather buy a used guitar, personally. Oh, yeah. 100%. And it's not just because I don't want to pay for a new one, but that is also definitely some reasoning behind no, it. I, um, yeah. 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 There's definitely a little bit of wear and feel like, like you're like, yeah, this that's especially frets for me, like the jumbo frets or any of that. I can't stand it. Oh yeah. <laughs> have you, do you find, uh, do you have like a preference when you would tour? Would you, does that dictate like what you bring with you as far as like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, ding this on something on tour or get it screwed up or no, just no, bring not whatever at all. you need. Yeah. I, I just, right now I'm playing the jazz master and MIJ that it was actually given to me by Fender in Japan. And, and awesome. that's what I've been playing. And, um, I only bring one guitar and I bring my pedals. I travel light and it comes from skating, you know, right? like, it's like, Oh, I, I could wear socks for three days, you know, Sure. I could wear t-shirts for three, four days, I, you know? <laughs> and so I travel real light because I always have a, you know, pretty good amount of pedals, like any, you know, eight pedals or so. And then I have my guitar and then, all, and then all your baggies, like, fuck, I don't want to carry all this. I used to go to Japan and I would just have them. Uh, I would borrow a guitar because I knew a guy who had uh, uh, a couple different guitars about like 335 and he had a Strat. And so I would just play his guitars and I wouldn't even bring nice. a guitar. I'd just bring my effect. Dude, that's the, that's the absolute <laughs> it's so, best. It's so, it's so stupid though. I go, I think back and I'm like, Oh wow, man, it's, it's hilarious. Oh no, dude, I, I get that a hundred percent. I've, I've scheduled out of town shows almost exclusively around like, where do we not have to bring drums? Or like who's who, like, exactly. yeah like who's got a who's got a bass rig we can borrow so we can all fit in this Honda Accord like all that totally yeah. yeah because you've been touring like going back to Bones Brigade days you've been touring for a long time did y'all I know y'all did I mean I, I'm yeah. fairly familiar with the history of the Bones Brigade but how often would y'all do like overseas skate tours back in like the eighties oh all the time Europe was was you know one of the hot spots and so we'd go i'd go at least a couple times every summer nice and uh and do you know two three three week stints each time at least um so you know traveling skating you, you can you travel so light it's like you're bored sure. and, and you just need some clothes and that's it and and i love that about it and but it fucked me up for traveling you know for music because then you have all this other gear and i'm like ah you know, I'm almost like, I want one of those guitars with a collapsible neck, you know, yes. <laughs> or something. It's like, Dude. I don't, uh, it's just, you know, so it's, so I have a hard time. Like I, you know, too much gear. I just, it drives me crazy. Too much stuff, you know, a hundred percent travel with. It's always a matter of like, I've, I've got to be able to carry my amp pedal board and guitar all at one time. Um, you know, guitar in the yeah. back, one in each yeah. hand, but yeah. So that's actually speaking of, going back to the bones brigade stuff that's super interesting to me because i uh i came up skating in like 99 2000 i was very much a uh you know tony hawk 900 on x games oh my gosh i need a skateboard kid um but even yeah. back even back then i mean even even that late it was still like it was the kind of thing you had to try and convince your parents to let you do in the suburbs because it you know it was rebellious or whatever um but <laughs> 
you so it's a little different because I've even with all that, I've never known a time where you couldn't say, I want to be a professional skateboarder and people would be like, that's not a job. That's always been a thing, like pretty much since I've been conscious of skating. But I got I mean, I have to assume back in like the Bones Brigade days, it wasn't like a you didn't look at it necessarily the same way. It has to have been a little different, right? Yeah, because when, you know, I, I looked at the uh, mags, specifically Skateboarder, and I seen Stacy Peralta, Tony Alba, Shogo Kubo, all those guys. Um, and, you know, they were professional skaters. Sure. And they, so it, it existed. They were the first real wave of professional skaters. And so it existed, the idea of it. But almost more in theory, you know, because you were so right. far removed from it. There were no there were no videos or anything of that time. So when we, you know, when we, when it started to take off in the early eighties, um, it never occurred to me that this was going to be my living, you know, how I was going to make, uh, make ends meet. And so, and my mom didn't understand at all. And at that time <laughs> she was extremely supportive. She always bought us skateboards cause she knew it kept us out of trouble. Sure. So when, it, when I actually started to skate and started to make money and travel and, uh, you know, kind of blew her mind, it kind of blew my mind. That's for sure especially because we were in that, that really sweet period from 85 to 90 where, you know, it was a big boom and we right. were selling tons of boards and, and it was in, insane. You'd sell at Christmas, you know, I'd sell 10,000 boards in one wow. month. Wow. That's yeah. wild, man. That's, that, a... that, that's a totally completely unheard of now. Like nothing, it, that hasn't happened since then. Oh yeah. So you know, as a, as a young person and you're, you make a dollar a board is what we made back then. Real, that I, um, I, I, know, I now, gotta feel like that's still like a pretty good percentage. If you were to get that now, it seems like, I don't know. It just, it, no, no. Well, what are they like? What would be the, right, do you, but, yeah, go ahead. Riders, riders now get three bucks a board. Like, ah, okay. First of all, and, and then some get five, but the thing is they have basically what we, what we call the safety net, you know, they get a salary and if they, gotcha. so, because it's like certain, like fifteen hundred bucks. Like if you don't sell, say five hundred boards, you know, to, to meet that, you don't get less. You you okay. have a safe net. If you sell more, then then you get that residual um, on top of that. But right now, for someone, for an individual, to sell five hundred boards a month is extremely difficult. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like you only got guys, you know, maybe like Aisha Odd and maybe Tony Hawk, and you know, there's a handful, but that's it. Yeah, that, so it seems you, like. You, if, Sorry, yeah, no. I was just saying. It seems go like ahead. the it seems like the model has changed as far as like pro skaters go. Like, I mean, I gotta, I can't imagine from like a, a a salary earnings perspective. I gotta imagine most of these top guys are getting their their main income from like Monster or Nike or, or Red Bull more so yeah. than, more so than their board exactly. sponsors. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always the shoe companies and those other corporate sponsors that are that's where they're really making the money, which is great, you know, um, sure, more yeah. power to them and. Hopefully they're putting it away and saving it. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. No, I've never. I've, I don't. Yeah. I don't know how you ever came up like feeling about it. Probably being on the inside of of the professional world might be a little bit of uh, not might be. It's definitely a different perspective. But I I remember when you know it kind of took the turn and you'd go to the skate shop and you'd have people like hear the older guys trashing on on Tony for doing. I call him Tony because we're we're tight. Um, Tony Hawk. Uh, the, you know, so they're, so they're trashing tones, um, for, for doing like bagel bites commercials or something. 
And it's always for totally. me, it's, yeah, for me, it's always just kind of felt like why, why is skateboarding supposed to be immune from these different ways of monetizing what you do that everyone else gets to do? I don't, I mean, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I, when I came to skating, it was like the, oh, this is a thing you can do if you're, you know, you feel like you're a little outside of, of the whole cool kid world, for lack of a better word, the jock world, even though I played sports too, but like. So why are we now setting up that barrier of entry? It made no sense to me personally, but it seems to um, be. Well, even, there was a, yeah, a, a lot of a lot of people had mixed feelings about it. You know, I had my feelings about it too. Um, mm-hmm. It was during a time when when skateboarding was really at a low, and Tony had these opportunities to do these corporate things. And you know, I look at it a couple different ways. When when you start having you know the corporations come into, uh, you know, our world and where we've been the black sheep of everything for so long, you know, we would get um, grief from every faction of life. Mm -hmm. And then now, um, you know, they they see that there's money in it that the corporations do. They want to jump on board and exploit it. Right. And so it it takes people to open that door for them to exploit it. And that's, and that's where a lot of people have trouble with letting these corporations in because if, you know, Nike sponsored people back in the nineties and then dropped everyone. Yep. You know, they're like, oh, this isn't, this isn't lucrative for us. This isn't making a profit. So we, we cut the whole team and just dropped everyone. But then when they came back around, they paid everybody really high salaries, knowing they're never going to recoup that money from sales from skate shoes. But right. they knew that it would give them credit. You know, they wanted the credibility. So you're letting in these corporations, giving them credibility right, by, by being sponsored by them. But you're, you know, in turn, as from the skater's point of view, is that you're actually going to make some money that you might be able to put away for later because the board companies, you're not making much because there's not much money there to make. Sure. So it's, it's a, it's a hard one. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult relationship. I mean, now with, now with the Olympics, you see these other countries just, um, setting up like skate camps, like gym, like they did with gymnastics and train training kids, like, you know, to skateboard, to be in the Olympics. And that's it. Where for us, it's a way to exist. It has fucking yep. nothing to do with competition or have or any of that. And so it's it's difficult. Now there's going to be, you know, really a whole different facet to skating. It's already happening and has been, but a really different facet from actual skaters. Like now you see people with a skateboard, it doesn't mean they're a skater right. by any means. They they're not they're not jumping in the van and sleeping on the ground and camping out and, you know, nine people in a hotel room and so forth just for the adventure. Mm-hmm. They're not doing that. They're yeah. doing it for the end justifies the means, right? They're doing it for a specific reason. And it's, it's just, it's odd. You know, I, I don't understand it and that's fine, but, um, it's just difficult to see that coming. Cause what's going to end up happening, the corporations are going to get into it because it's going to get bigger, which it already is. And you're going to have them undercutting all the hardcore skaters and the uh, skate companies and the skate shops that have been doing it for 50, you know, 40 years. Yeah, so they're going to come yeah. in and have you know that you know China made boards that are that are forty dollar completes. Oh and God! And it has somebody's name on it that is a that won like a gold medal in the Olympics. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'll and admit so that's the Olympics know, is is a weird one for me. I'm I'm with you on that. Like it's it's it is a weird it's a weird relationship because it feels like a tipping point at at, at a yeah. certain to a certain degree where like I. I am fully conscious of the fact that, you know, Columbia, South Carolina has a amazing skate shop. That's, you know, blue tile skateboards has now been around for 19 years and 
mostly because of their dedication to the community and the skaters in our town. But you have to wonder, you know, does Columbia, South Carolina even have the one skate park that we have that was built with city money if it weren't for the the sort of mainstreaming of skating? You know, you know I mean, we don't live in California or anywhere like that that's traditionally full of skaters. So it, it is, you're right, it's that kind of weird back and forth where I, you know, you never, there's never pure intentions with any sort of corporation. So you got to be suspicious of it, but I don't No, I'm, I'm very, I am. I'm, it's all. Yeah. They're, they're all, it's all about profit. We all mm-hmm. know it, you know, corporations, that's, you know, it's all about 100%. bottom line and that's why they move everything to other countries. So it costs, you know, cheaper for production, labor, et cetera. And you increase your profits. That's how that works. 100%. But like skate shops, you know, and the skate shops are the backbone of, of skateboarding and, they create community and that's what grows the scene and makes it seem thrive and gives the people a place to be an identity, et cetera. And, you know, that is an amazing resource. Like I had a skate shop when I was growing up and we would all meet at the skate shop oh, yeah. and we would hang out and it was really important. It was, a, it was a really fertile place for, for community, um, and for, um, friendships to block, to blossom. And, you know, if that stuff's taken away, it, it's going to be, it's not going to be good for skateboarding. Yeah. I think that's, that's the part of it that kind of scares me too, is like, I, I kind of like I was saying a minute ago, you, you appreciate having the, the money behind it so that you can have the resources to, to have skating be available to, a, a wider audience. Not that it's ever been something people weren't aware of, but you know, um, you don't want kids to have to go get their, well, I guess that's, that's, I guess that's the catch 22 of it is you don't want a kid to yeah. get their first board from Amazon, but now they probably are going to, you know, that's the, yeah. that's the kind of weird thing about it. Yeah. You'd, yeah. You'd want them to go in and, you know, ask the dude at the shop, what's the, this is my first board. Help me figure it out. But you're probably not gonna, um, at least not these yeah, days. No, no, it's true that it's all going to be online and, um, you know, hopefully shops can survive by having both, you know, uh, sure. brick and mortar retail and online presence and so forth. But, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting time in skateboarding. Yeah. I feel like the, the model of, of being a pro is, has even shifted, um, to where, you know, I, I can't really think of what someone that I would call a, a quote unquote top pro right now that doesn't also have like a YouTube channel, you know? Um, and it feels, I don't know if you view it this way, but to me, it, it, it almost feels like kind of a, a parallel with, with a music career too, um, with it going sort of yeah. digital and streaming and whatnot. Yeah. So we were just, uh, yeah, I guess the last thing I was saying before it, cut out was um i don't know if you've experienced any sort of parallel with releasing albums since the 90s and also being a pro skater since you know the 80s i i think right you started as a pro in the 80s is that correct? yeah i mean that's, okay yeah 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 I mean, that's, yeah have you seen any sort of started, like similar skating, i was skating but i started skating in the mid 70s like 75 gotcha, okay and then, you know, my professional career from uh, 85 to whenever, I think it was 95. Cool. So, I mean, have you seen any sort of uh, similarities in the way that, like, making a living off of music or skating has kind of changed over the years? Like, 
Because for me, it's, yeah, yeah, like the YouTube skater almost kind of feels just the, the same as like a like a SoundCloud musician. Like I don't necessarily have anything against either one. They just feel like like similar things, at least from from an outsider's perspective. It, it's all self promotion, you know. Because at the end of the day, you're basically an independent contractor, right? Right. So you're you're, you're it's up to you to do self promotion, especially if you don't have a label behind you or if you don't. Um, you know, and, and skating usually have a decent amount of, you know, promotion from your, from your board company, truck, wheels, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, or, and, and your, you know, whatever other sponsors you have, but with music, you know, as an independent artist, you really don't have anyone. You, you have yourself and you have social media and, and that's one aspect of social media. You know, I look at it as being a tool and sure. it's been extremely help, helpful to disseminate your, your you know, your music and, uh, your ideas, et cetera, whatever your craft is. Um, and that's a game changer. It, you know, it, it really is like, think about 20 years ago, if you were to go out as an independent artist with no label, <laughs> oh, no God, way to, yeah. you know, you're going to no way to pay for advertising and music magazines. You know, it would go back to being all the DIY stuff of making zines and making handbills and flyers and putting up around your city and around towns. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's that's a, a slow boat. Whereas now, with you know the advent of of the internet and social media and so forth, I mean, you're a click away from who knows how many millions of people. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you that's know? so. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting time. I mean, and then you have the other side of it where I don't, you know, streaming music, that's um, a whole nother, you know, fucking shit show, really. Um, but but I understand it. It's a new radio, which is fine, but yeah. you would hope that they would pay like radio. Oh, what? You mean you're, you're not happy with the point zero 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 zero? Whatever, yeah. Exactly. That's insane. Yeah. How many zeros before the one? It's like yeah. five. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. I mean, I remember telling a friend of mine that our uh, my band's um, EP, at a certain point after he put it, put one out a couple of years ago, telling them, I was like, yeah, I got like 5,000 streams at, to, up to this point. And they're like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, maybe we'll get five bucks if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. It's, maybe. It's, it's crazy. But yeah, they... Yeah. Yeah, they, I look at... You know, I, my son has Spotify and he hits me to it. Like I don't, I don't use it. I don't use any streaming services just for whatever reason. But um, sure. but he hits me to it and he says, "Oh, Dad, you got you know, like four and a half million plays on this one song." And it's funny. He's like, "Wow, if I had a penny for every <laughs> play, you know, then then you'd be like, all right, you're doing all right. You could make your next record." You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's but, the, that's the thing. As a, a friend of mine was telling me, um. He's in a, a fairly well-known band uh, in certain circles, anyway. Um, they got—I want to say it was like a hundred and fifty some thousand streams, and that got them like six hundred bucks. And I was like, "Wow, that is uh, depending on where you are in the country, not even a full day of studio time. Like that's—it's yeah, abs- it's absolutely yeah, insane. Yeah, not even like not even engineer for an hour." Right. Yeah. I mean, we're very lucky here in, in Colombia that it's it's a very inexpensive town compared to a lot of other parts of the country. But for most people, yeah, that is you're not getting anything uh, for that. No. But you so you have uh, you no. talk about your son and Spotify. How, is it just your son or do you have more than one kid? No, just my son. Yeah. I always ask uh, my friends with kids this. Do you 
Are you worried that like at a certain point he's going to get older and rebel by becoming like an accountant or something? Since you're into all the cool stuff, he's going <laughs> to do no, the, the no. opposite. <laughs> That's no, good. He's, That's he's good. Definitely not. He's, it's, yeah, he's a, he's a really good kid. He's nice. a really good person. That's awesome. I always yeah. wonder about like, you know, you have the parent who's into all the cool stuff. They're going to, what if their kid grows up to be Alex P. Keaton or something? Um, which is a a reference that most of the folks listening to this won't get, but that's okay. Um, um, Yeah, no, they, so I guess kind of going back to real quick, just shifting because I'm bad at transitions to the early days of like skating and stuff. I'm very curious about this because, you know, I haven't grown up when I did skating in, in 1999, 2000, pretty much up until now. We, you know, the Bones Brigade was like the mythical pioneers, you know, for for all of us growing up. And then somebody would somehow come across a VHS copy of Animal Chin and we'd be like, man, like this video would would be amazing now. Um, And the parallel there being that, like, you guys were literally inventing it. I remember talking to somebody at our, our local. We have a like a DIY kind of skate park that's that's here in town and they were talking about, yeah, I didn't want to go home and, uh, you know, pull up a trick tip for this on YouTube. And I was just like, Jesus, like why (laughs) we didn't, we, for us, it was just like whichever one of our friends figured out a kickflip first, it was like, maybe he could help you or maybe, maybe someone had like a VHS copy of Tony's, uh, trick tips series, but probably not. Um, when you're at that early point in time, was did street skating come about more as like a necessity because of you know lack of of ramps for lack of a better word or was it was it a conscious like we want to take this to a, a different medium? No, well, you know, growing up in San Francisco, you know, it's nothing but hills, and and we lived on a hill when I got my first board, and so you know your environment, uh, you know, um, informs you, and so growing up on a hill with a skateboard, it's like, ah, as a little kid, you're like, I'm going down. I'm going to go as fast <laughs> as I can and eat shit. It's going to be, it's going to be the best thing ever. Yep. You know, it's like a personal roller coaster. So for me, it all started with street skating. Me and my brother and friends, we was always just street skating. Um, and then when the parks opened in the late seventies or somewhere around there, you know, in the Bay area, there were a few, um, we were, um, we travel taking BART and a couple different buses and then skate, take a couple hours to get to the park and we'd skate all day. And, but back then it was pay to play, right? It cost money for a membership and it cost by the hour. So you had to pay for everything. And, you know, we didn't have, we were, had very little means. So I did, we didn't get to go to the skate park all the time. We didn't, my mother didn't have a car, you know, she never had a car. And so we never got a chance to travel. So it would either be at a friend, if a friend had a car or if we just, we'd have to hop on the bus. Um, but then the parks all closed around 1980 and that was kind of it. So we just went back to the streets cause we weren't going to stop skating. Right. And that's, and that's when, you know, that was a time when you would end up taking tricks that you learned on vert to the street. And that's all those inverts and hand plants and all this, you know, street plants and all that yeah. stuff came to be because you're just mimicking bird skaters and what you were doing on bird. Cause I was doing all that stuff on bird. Um, so it's just kind of interesting, the transition and what happened to a lot of bird skaters is that they didn't have spaces to build ramps, et cetera. Um, and so they stopped skating. Wow. And, um, and then, 
but then a lot of hardcore, like just, you know, kept skating and, and built ramps wherever they could. And, you know, kind of seek and destroy missions, looking for pools and ditches and so forth. Um, so for, for me, it, it wasn't a conscious um, move to, you know, I'm going to be a street skater now because that didn't exist then. There was no such thing because we were just skateboarders and we skated everything. Like I, I have contest trophies from 77 of like barrel jump, high jump, freestyle, bowl riding, all that shit. So you just did everything back then. It wasn't, there wasn't a, you know, it wasn't these factions um, nice. within skating. I definitely wish barrel jumping would make a comeback. That would be really fun to see. <laughs> I would I'd yeah, never I do it. It's like a, like a hippie <laughs> jump, but even scarier. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> oh man. There's, there's some uh, footage. I forget who it was doing some barrel jumps. And uh, it is so gnarly, man. He was just eating shit. He was just getting served. Like oh my god, because they were he was jumping like I don't know a good amount, you know, uh, and it was so funny to watch. There's just no, you there's know, just no like, bailing. You can't bail. You're just you're you're just fucked. No, you, miss. Yeah. <laughs> you better cl- you better clear them. If not, you're getting you're getting fucking jacked. <laughs> that's that's so that's insane. Like I I remember it's kind of like um, the only parallel I have to that like from from stuff that I would see growing up is it it reminds me kind of from the whole like sort of circus aspect of it uh, from when like the X games would do the weird, like shovel racing and like all that kind of stuff where you're like, I don't know if this is a viable, like long-term sport, but it is really fun to watch. Like I'm really enjoying it. And like, Barrel, oh, I don't know what that was. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I'm not hip to that. What was it? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's people racing on shovels, like, like riding a shovel, like yeah. holding it. Okay. Like yeah. sliding down. Wow. Ahead. So it's, it's, it's a step yeah. d- down several steps well, down in legitimacy well, from anything else, but it's that same kind of vibe where I'm just like, who and why and what? Well, that's, that's like the jackass stuff, right? You know, that's kind of how that oh, stuff yeah, comes yeah. to be. And now I've seen like, there's like extreme, extreme pogo sticking. And I think there's like pro, pro pogo stickers out there with, you know, fuck, go for it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen those guys and it's that thing where I'm just like, you kind of scratch your head and then you go like, well, you know, I, I okay, sure. Go for it, man. I, I'm, I'm not about to try yeah. to backflip one of those. So you do you, but, yeah, uh, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Those things are intense. Like we had a, um, it makes me think of, we have a pump track next to our, uh, skate park, um, uh, which oh, is, the I most, want one of those. it's the most exhausting thing I've ever done in my life. Like it's so like, it's wild, but it's super fun. But like, there's a kid, you know, those ripsticks, things where it's like the two wheels and you kind of like move it by like wiggling your hips all funny yeah kind of like a snake board i think they call them too yeah like like with the caster wheels on them and stuff i saw someone yeah yeah i saw a kid on the pump track with one of those and the only thoughts i had was like thank god the pump track is here so you're not in the actual skate park um like snaking everybody but also (laughs) like also i can't imagine attempting that it's also it's it's simultaneously like the weirdest and uncool, but also most impressive thing I've seen in forever. Like it seems so difficult, <laughs> but yeah, they they yeah. Um, it's interesting how I don't know if you guys have. I mean, I, to hear you talk about parks closing down in in California is is insane because I you know I've I've never known a time where where California wasn't thought of as just skateboarders everywhere. Um, at least on our side of the country, we don't. That's what we how we view things. Um, 
and then yeah, you know, well, some some folks they were, have they were all private. <laughs> they were all privately owned, and really? so what wow. happened was they were getting they were getting sued because of course people were getting hurt, mm. even though you signed the waivers. Now there's those parents out there who decide they want to sue, Jeez. and so that's that's what really what it was, you know, um, just litigation. That's so crazy. I would that's I would never would have thought that because you think you know sign a waiver it's fine, but wow. Yeah, they, yeah, I, I wonder if that would be how that would affect now having like a like a pay for. There's some parks I've been to where you have to pay, but it's usually just like five bucks, and you can skate for longer than you'd ever want to skate that day anyway. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think indoors. You know, if there's indoor parks, it makes sure. sense because they're you know they have all the overhead of the cost of the, the building. Um, so that would that would make sense. But you know, who, when there's a skate park on every fucking corner now, in like right. almost every city across country it, it wouldn't make sense yeah now that you say that i don't think i've ever been to a pay a paid outdoor well maybe no that's not true i went to one paid outdoor park in charlotte but it was part of like a big like complex with like a roller skating rink and a bunch of other shit so it's like it wasn't just paying for right. the skate park it was you're paying to get in and then you use the skate park um that was actually at a uh not that anyone listening cares but it made me think of it. That was actually, I went, I went to one of those when I was like 13, those like big skate park tours that, um, Tony Hawk used to do. And that was the one where it, it rained mm-hmm. out, it rained out. And so they parked a NASCAR in the middle of the roller skating rink inside since the skate park was outside and just did like launches over the NASCAR for like three hours. It was super cool. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah. Sean, Steve Caballero was there and all those guys. Like it was, it was really, really cool for like a 13 year old kid to see all that. But that's yeah, that's, uh, rad. yeah, that's interesting about the park, fan. When you go when you go out and skate now, are you primarily hitting up a park? Um, yeah, mostly. Um, but it but it depends. Like the other day, I skated this. There's this uh, loading dock, bank to curb spot, really close to my house, and it's really on the under. Like nobody knows about it. It's not waxed up at all, so it's super curbs, super rough. But nice. um, and I'm. I'm not one to wax things for several reasons. One, I don't want to become a bust, you know? Right. Um, Cause no one, there's no, there's no marks. You can't tell that anyone's skating there because it, there's only been a handful of people. So, you know, that's fun to skate. Um, and then, uh, and then I go to different skate parks. Just Berkeley is just about five minutes from me. Berkeley park. And then in Alameda where I lived for about 10 years, um, I go to that one cause it's old and it's kind of fucked, but, the local scene is really cool. Nice. That's awesome. So I, I go right there. Yeah. Yeah. Skating feels, it's, it feels similar to music in that aspect to me where it's just like you, you, you can't really not do it with whatever's available. Like, you know, you're never going to be like, well, I can't play music because oh. of my guitar sucks too bad. It's the same way that you can't be like, well, I can't mm-hmm. skate because all I've got is a parking lot. Like, no, you can, you can do it. Man. Nope. <laughs> yeah. 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 Completely. Yeah. No, that's, um, it's a pretty uh pretty nice thing to still be able to do after all these years. But what when you go out and skate, what's the uh what's the one what's the, like the trick where you go like, "All right, once I make this, I'm warmed up." Do you have one of those? Trick. trick. <laughs> that is a fantastic my, my, answer. My trick these days is not slamming. That's that's my that's, new trick. That's <laughs> perfect. Obviously, I mean, I'm I'm a, yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not a I'm still young. I'm I'm only like 32, but it's but I I I know the feeling. There's uh, it's a lot of like 
Okay, well, this would have been my warm up ten years ago. Um, but yeah, no. There's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very different vibe. It, it's a lot of just like don't hurt your back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the jump ramps really took a toll on my body, my knees, and my back. And oh, so, I imagine, man. Yeah. yeah, I skated a little bit yesterday at the park, and you know, after literally fifteen minutes, my right knee was like, no, that's it. I was like, all right. Yeah, I had a very similar experience skating yesterday, in fact, where it's, you know, one of those days where you just get there out there and you're like, it's not in the legs. I'm not going to give it, not going to try because I'm just going to get hurt. But they, uh, yeah, so the jump ramps, I mean, having seen like footage from demos back in, back in those days, it really was just a lot of like kickers and parking lots, wasn't it? For like a certain stretch of time. Yeah. That's, that's rough. For, that's got to be rough many, in the legs. Many of my years of, of skating has been going to a parking lot in the middle of nowhere and, you know, in in the middle of the country and launching yourself off a jump ramp for, you know, however long in the middle of the summer heat. Just and landing uh, dead just, on flat. How? <laughs> yeah, impact, you know. It just yeah. it fucked up the knee cartilage is gone in the back. And so it was just what it was. Man, did that, were you doing, still doing, um, like, actually skating in the demos and stuff like when you when real kicked off were you actively out there yeah nice that's awesome yeah when, when we started real it was really just a, a just a few of us and we we hit the road quite a bit and when we did demos we switched it up though because we had come from you know like i'd come from powell and in that in that um era of skating where you would do a demonstration you would put basically like put on a show and you know you wouldn't interact with other skaters in that sense um whereas when we started real the whole idea was like we're not doing that anymore we're going to have we're going to skate with everyone we're going to have everyone skate okay. and we're all going to skate together and then afterwards we're going to hang out and rap and that's how it's going to be we're not going to be put on a show we're not going to be like these dancing monkeys <laughs> you know um we just weren't into it and and we did i mean we did tons of demos and uh, it just, um, it was a different approach. And, you know, shops, shop owners didn't really understand it because they were used to the old, um, the old guard and the old ways of doing things. Um, so, so they tripped out because they're, you know, liability again and so forth. They're like, well, we can't everyone skating parking lot. And you're like, well, it's all right. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, when, when, for the demos that we, we got a few demos in Columbia, we have like, I mean, back in the day, we had like Zero and Foundation and Toy Machine came through a few times in the 2000s, 2010s. Um, I'm sure they'd still be doing stuff like that if it wasn't COVID times. But they, uh, yeah, it was that kind of vibe was later. It was like the demo was first, which was cool for us because that was the first time you'd see people doing these tricks that you could only dream of. Um, and then after the demo, if you hung around long enough, there'd be like a flat bar in the parking lot. You could skate with the pros if you wanted. Um and that was always like a vibe that we really appreciated. It was, it's one of those skating being, for lack of a better word, one of those sports where uh, there's that accessibility sort of to the, the best of the best where it's not it's not a uh, ivory tower sort of, you know, Michael Jordan situation. Yeah. Nothing against other yeah. athletics, but it's just that accessibility is there. And it's also just cool to – I mean, I – I still remember Foundation came and did a demo at our old skate park, and a guy hit one of the guys. Um, I don't even remember who it was, but I remember him hitting a back tail to big spin out on a down rail, which nowadays, of course, would be 
somebody would do it in a contest run. But back then I was just like, Oh my God, yeah. this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, but I mean, yeah. the way the progression they've gotten is it's, it's insane. I was it's at insane. our, yeah, as we have, um, local guy named, uh, John Hill, who's a pro he's for, um, revive, um, not local guy he's from Columbia. He lives out in California now, but he's back in town for something. And he happened to be out at our DIY spot the other day. And, you know, 15 minutes in was doing like front Smith kick flip out second try straight into like a kick flip front five Oh down some ledge. And I was just like that, that'd be, that would, those would be a, that'd be a video ender line when I had started skating. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's absolutely yeah, insane, totally. man. That's absolutely insane. But they, um, yeah, did you have, uh, I mean, we're coming up on about an hour. We've kind of talked about a bunch of stuff. We probably, probably close it up. Don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, do you have anything, anything you're doing these days that you want everybody to know about? Got any, uh, like, where projects coming plug. out or anything? Yeah, I have a new record coming out. It, it'll be out in January. Um, it was going to be out this year. But with everything going on, you know, I got the vinyl coming. It's, it's already on on its way. But um, with everything going on, it's just it's a better idea to push it back, not try to release it so late in the year, compete with all the other stuff that's going to be, you know, clogging up the pipes. Um, oh, yeah. So, be yeah, it'll be, it'll be coming out in January, and I'll, I'll be, you know, posting it on social media and doing my <laughs> the best I can self-promote, which I can't stand. Um, oh, Get the plug yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No shame in the yeah, plug. Uh, you know. Yeah, you know. But um and then just continuing doing everything that we're doing. Um you know, real and deluxe is just constantly doing some really cool, really cool things. Um, you know, Thibaut always has some great ideas and so there's always neat stuff going on. That's awesome, man. Well yeah. Well yeah, for everybody listening, uh this Tommy Guerrero, he's on wherever there's music you can find him, he's out there, trust me. I've, I've uh, listened to yeah. your stuff on several different platforms. Um, you know, buy his records yeah, for there. God's sake. Buy the damn records. <laughs> like you, you can still stream it after you buy it. You can buy the record and then stream. There's no rule against that. Like you know, no one's going to stop. No one's going to stop you. You can buy the record and then stream it. So do that. Buy all of Tommy's shit. He's he's awesome. Tommy, it was it was really. Can, Go ahead. Thank Sorry. All right. Thank you for the support. Hey, absolutely, man. It was really, really great to get to talk to you, man. I've I've been a, a fan of yours for a long time. Real treat to get to talk to you, man. I, I wish you all the best, man. I can't wait to hear that new record. Right on, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, have a good one. Thanks again. All right. Yeah, take it easy. This has been a Comfort Monk production.